Masechet Ta'anit, Daf 22. We're in the middle of talking about stories of common people who do common small kindnesses, and yet uh, we show the great reward that they deserve. You don't have to be the, the, the chief rabbi or great hero uh, in order to be called a righteous person. Uh, so we're going to see a couple more stories of common people who do uh, wonderful deeds, acts of kindness. And then we'll go on to with the rest of the clauses of the Mishnah of fast days that we declare for items other than rain. Uh, so we begin. He used to uh, uh, spend time in the marketplace of a city called Be'lefet. Uh, the original name of the city was Bel Apat, meaning the city of Bel, the uh, the, uh, uh, the the idol uh, Bel. Uh, it was a Persian city in Bavel, and uh, King Shapur uh, renamed the city Shevor Malka after himself. But the locals still called it Be'lefet. And so and Eliyahu Navi, we already saw him in the previous story. He used to hang out with Rabbi Beroka also. Rabbi Beroka asks Eliyahu, you know all the people here. Is there any is there one person here who is worthy of going to the world to come? Uh, I guess in the marketplace it was all kinds of shady characters. And so he wants to know, is there one righteous person here? Amar Leila, says, unfortunately, no, not one person here is deserving. Then as they're walking, they see a, a certain man. He's wearing black shoes. Either that or he's wearing uh, uh, black laces. The point is that the Jews and non-Jews would wear different types of shoes, and he's wearing all, all black, black shoes, black laces, and that's what non-Jews wore. Usually Jews wore a different color uh, to show that they are Jewish. Also, the man was not wearing sisit on his clothing, um, which would usually be worn on a, an outer garment, a scarf or something, it would be seen, and that would be also to, to show that the person is Jewish. So this person, looking at him, he looks like he's not Jewish. And the Aliyah Navi pointed to him and says, oh, this guy, he is righteous, worthy of the world to come. So to be Biroka is curious, what, is, what, what does this man do? He doesn't, he doesn't look uh, like, a, like a Sadiq. So he runs after him. He says, what do you do for a living? And the man says, go leave today. Come back tomorrow and ask me again. I can't tell you today. All right. That's curious too. So next day he sees him in the market again. He says, what is your occupation? I am a prison guard. A wonderful Persian word here. And as, as a prison guard, I keep the men and women separate so that they uh, will not sin, and especially so that the men will not uh, forcibly take the woman. And not only that, I, put, I place my own bed between the men and the women so that even in, at night, they won't cross and they won't come to sin. And especially if there is a Jewish woman who is imprisoned and the non-Jews are put, have their eye on her, 
I will even uh, risk my life to save her. And one time uh, there was a, a betrothed woman uh, who was in prison and the, the non-Jews had their eye on her and were going to forcibly take her. And, um, and so what he did to save her is he took some dregs of wine, red wine, and put and threw them on her dress. And then these, um, these uh, 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 potential rapists uh, saw that and said, oh, she must be Nida, and they left her alone, which is really funny because um, they, they, don't mind, uh, they don't mind raping a woman, but, you know, the Persians had even stricter Nida laws than the Jews. So they were very, it was like they were possessed by demons. So they wouldn't want to get involved in that. So they wouldn't mind violating her, but laws of, laws of uh, Nida that they were that they separated from these uh these Persians probably Zoroastrians. Okay. So then him, how come you wear black shoes? I'm always coming going uh, uh back and forth and uh with where where non-Jews are and I don't want them to know that I'm Jewish. I don't want to stand out. Why? I get inside information. If the government officials are planning any decree against the Jews, then I'll know right away and I go tell the rabbis and then they'll do something about it. They'll pray uh, for the, 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 the decree to be annulled. So I dress um, without, uh, without showing I'm Jewish so that I can um, be a spy, an informer, and get that information as a prison guard, he is in, involved in the government there. Um, uh, <clears throat> right, that's the reason why he wears, wears, wears black and also why he doesn't wear CC, so he doesn't show he's Jewish. Okay, and now uh, the sec- next question is, how come when I asked you, what is your occupation? You said, come back to, to, tomorrow. So in fact, yesterday, there was in, uh, such information that there was going to be a decree against the Jews. And I said, I have no time to, to, to chat with you. I have to go straight to the rabbis and immediately so that they could know about it and they can pray about it. And that's why I didn't want to enter into a conversation with you. Okay, so while they be back, I was talking and this, this is an amazing story. This guy just looks like uh, a regular person and he does such extraordinary things, uh, risking his life. And so in the meantime, these two brothers also came to the marketplace. says, oh, these brothers also, they are worthy of going to the world to come. So Rabbi Bakr wants to know, says, what do you do? says, we are clowns. We are jesters. And we cheer up people who are depressed. 
So if you know any comedians, you could tell them that uh, they are worthy to go to Olam Haba. I think specifically of, you know, people that are uh, clowns that go into uh, a children's hospital and, and cheer kids up, uh, anything like that. So it's good to tell jokes and cheer people up. It's a beautiful story. Or uh, another, another uh, uh, response is that when they saw two people fighting, they would go and they make peace between them. And so even if they're, these, they're not the most learned people in the world, they're not um, you know, they're not what you might think typically of someone who is uh, who is a Sadiq, but even these acts that seem like they're small are actually very big, very important, and therefore worthy of the world to come. And so these are wonderful lessons and things that we can do also in our lives. Okay, back to the Mishnah. Um, so they, there are other things that we are uh, uh, very dire, and, uh, and if you hear about them, even if it's not in your place, then you start making fasting and call and crying out. So that lists some of these items uh, for blight, which either means uh, like some kind of strong wind that destroys crops or a, uh, a, a, a bacteria, fungus that destroys the crops. Mildew, locusts, caterpillars, or... Uh, wild animals that uh, harm people. How much, Rabbi Akiva says, regarding blight and mildew, even a small amount, even if you just see a few uh, plants, then it will spread and that's dangerous. And regarding the uh, locusts and caterpillars, even if you see one wing, right, just one, you already sound the alarm because one locust, he will multiply and call his friends and soon enough, you'll have a whole swarm. <clears throat> and we're going to talk a lot about uh, why these dangerous uh, beasts. So here's a general pr- principle. Uh, when you have a wild animal, uh, when, when it is mishulachat, literally means something sent, or better to say an outbreak. The point is that when a wild animal is acting normally, then that's not, and animals act the way they do. And so that's not a cause for concern, only when it's acting abnormally. Um, so why would, what would cause such an outbreak? Um, it could be sometimes when they have rabies and so they're not acting normally, or because of overpopulation, there might be hunger. And then that, at that time, the animals don't stay in their habitat. They come into cities and usually they're scared of human beings and they don't bother them. But when there's uh, this kind of outbreak, they act abnormally and attack uh, attack humans even in the in, in cities, and so that's what's of, uh, of of concern. If they act normally, then we know how to uh, keep away, keep safe. But if acting abnormally, we have to turn to fasting and prayer. Okay, so let's define what exactly what when we know it's abnormal. If you see these wild animals in the city, you know it's an outbreak. They don't usually come to the city. If they're out in the field, that's where they always are. That's normal. 
ביום משולחת, בלילה אינה משולחת, מסים during the day, that's an outbreak. If it's at night, then that's, that's usually, they usually come out at night. And the Gemara is going to ask, what if it's at, what if it's in the, at night, in the, what if it's daytime and in the city? What if it's at night and in the city? Okay. If it sees two people and chases after them, that's an outbreak. These animals, they don't usually chase after people. Um, they usually stay away. If they hide from people, then that's not an outbreak, even if they're there. If the animal eats two people, that's normal. Sometimes they're hungry and they eat people, uh, unfortunately. But if it runs after and kills two people, but only eats one of them, that's unusual because it would, normally they would only kill to eat. You're not going to waste energy uh, killing if, if it's not hungry. So if it kills two and eats only one, then that's strange behavior, and that requires praying. The climbs uh, uh, to a roof and takes uh, steals a baby. That is an outbreak. They don't usually go up on roofs and take babies. Uh, okay, ha, so that's the Baraita. Now we're going to analyze it. We have an internal contradiction. It says if you see a, a, a wild animal in the city, then that's an outbreak. And it sounds like anytime it's in the city, whether it's day or night. But then, but then you said, if you see it during the day, it's an outbreak, but at night, it's not an outbreak. So for sure, if you see it in the city during the day, then that's double bad, that's mishulachat. But if it's in the city at night, then it's not clear what the what, what would be the case. So we answer. So the answer is only if you see it in the city during the day, only then is it Mishulachat. But all other cases would not. If it's in the city at night, then it's not an outbreak. Or if in the field, anytime it's not an outbreak. That's, that's their normal habitat in the field. Sometimes at night also they come to the city because no one, nobody around. That's normal behavior, but they don't come to the city during the day. Normally. So at first, the, another contradiction, the Baraita says that if the animal sees uh, two people and runs at, chases, chases them, that's, that's unusual. But according to that, if it just stands there, and doesn't, doesn't do anything, then that would be normal behavior. But then the next clause says, if the animal hides, then it's not an outbreak. That means if it doesn't hide, but just stands there, then that's abnormal. It's, it is an outbreak. So which one is it? The, the, the Braita only talked about chasing or hiding. It didn't just say, what about just standing there? Uh, it depends. If the field is near a marsh, then the animal knows that it can run away. So it'll just stand there and then it'll see, um, you know, like sometimes you see deer and uh, it, uh, it'll just stand there and watch what you're doing. And uh, only if you uh, come and approach it, then it'll run away. Otherwise, it'll just stand there because it knows it has somewhere to run away to. So then standing there is a normal thing. But if it's in a field that has no marsh behind it and there's no, not much room for it to run away, then it's unusual for it to stand there. It should be scared and hide. And therefore, if it's just standing there, that is abnormal and that would be a, um, an outbreak.
Okay, the Braita said if it goes and um, eats two people, that's an outbreak. Uh, 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 sorry, if it eats one person, it kills two, but eats one person, it is an outbreak. If it kills two people and eats both of them, it's not Mishulachat, that's just hungry. Hold on, but the Braita also said if it just chases two people, it's an outbreak. So which one is it? If it, even if it, if it just chases two people, it's an outbreak. Then all the more so, if it kills them and eats them, it should be an outbreak. Oh, we're talking about in a marsh when it eats two, it kills two people and and um, and uh, eats them. Then that and happens in a marsh. That's unusual because that's its own habitat, and um, and and so that is that is usual for it to kill. Um, but if it's running after uh, pe- two people and it's not in its natural habitat, that's unusual. Doesn't usually run after people uh, when in, in a city or um, when it's not in the in near the marsh. Okay. So last point, Gufa. The animal goes up and 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 takes a and takes a baby from the roof. Then that's an outbreak. Isn't that obvious? That's very unusual behavior. It's unusual behavior because usually that's in the city. We said already said it doesn't come into cities. And Papa explains is talking about in a hunter's hideout. If you go a camping and you're in a tent or something, and then it comes in for some reason, you went camping with your well with your family you went hunting with your family and you brought your infant along with you and then in the middle of the night the animal comes and steals the infant that is um a, a, that is an outbreak even though it's uh so that's why it's not pishita even though you're out in a tent in a hut um nevertheless animals don't usually go and steal uh, uh, uh infants and so if it does that it's an unusual behavior and therefore uh requires crying out and praying. All right. And now we get to the next, next uh, line in the Mishnah. If there's a sword, if there's a battle, enemy coming, then that is a reason to cry out. And so the Braita now adds that not only if, uh, do you have to make a fast if it's a sword that's coming in, uh, in for war, but even a sword that's coming for peace. What's a sword coming for peace? That means a, a, an army that wants to just pass through your, your country. They want to they get to the other side to go to a, a, a fight, on, a, a, a war on the other side. But still, it's dangerous, even though they're not making war with you, at least they say they're not. First of all, can you trust them? Second, on the way, they're going to demand that everyone feed them. And if they see something or someone that they like and just take it, who's going to stop them? So it's still dangerous, even if they're even if they came not for war. <clears throat> OK, so therefore you still fast if even if an, an army is coming through. And what's the proof? You can't get a more peaceful sword army than that of uh, so during the, the reign of King Yoshiahu, Paronecho wanted to go to battle up in the north, the famous battle of Karkemish. He was going to fight the Assyrians. He said, listen, I don't want to go all the way around. I want to go straight through. I got to get there quickly. Yoshiahu, right, King of Israel, will you let me go through? And King Yoshiahu says, no. 
and doesn't let them, and they have a battle in which Yoshiahu is killed. Okay, amazing pasuk. This is in Divrayamim, where um, Paronecho sends a mess- messengers to Yoshia and say, saying, "What do I have against you, the king of Yehuda? Right? I'm not coming against you today. I'm going to the site of the war. That's all the way up north. And God told me to hurry up. I got to get there. And so you should not. You should stop meddling with God." He is with me so that he will not destroy you, right? So this is, uh, it sounds like an earnest plea and it sounds like it in fact was an earnest plea. And so, right, don't, now, and interestingly, the Paron is quoting um, Elohim here. Does that mean he, he believes in Hashem? Um, and the translation here makes it a capital G, but it's not clear if he's referring to the God, 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 God of Israel or some idol of his own. So that's what the Gemara asks. My Elohim When he says, you know, God is with me and wants me to go through, he wasn't referring to the true God, but an idolatrous God. So Yoshiao heard this, interpreted it the same way. And he said, oh, since Paron is relying on an idol and idols don't help, Therefore, I, I, will ha- I will be able to beat him and defeat him. So Yoshia saw an opportunity to fight this army, and he would have uh, had benefit from that, but it was a wrong decision. And so they engaged in battle, and Yoshia and Paronecho's archers shot at Yoshiahu. And he, Yoshiahu, told his servants, take me away from here. I am very wounded. What does it mean? What does it mean, very wounded? He had so many arrows shot into him, his body was like a sieve. Yoshiahu, we know, was a good king. He did so many wonderful things and got rid of idolatry. Um, so what, 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 by what, because of what sin was he punished? Because he should not have made that decision on his own. He should have asked the prophet, Yirmiyah, and Yirmiyah would have told him, we can trust him, let him go through. And um, he didn't ask. He, uh, he acted on his own. No, so what did, what, what did Yoshiah rely on? Well, he was reading a pasuk in, in Vayikra at the end, in the blessings part of the blessings and curses. It says that sword will not pass through your land. So he said he thought he's at the time of blessing, and it says sword will not pass by you. Now, what kind of sword? If it's talking about a sword that is not for peace, wait, the beginning of that very pasuk says, I will give peace in your land. So we already know there's not going to be war. So why does the pasuk go on and say, So maybe we would say it's just parallelism. It's repeating the same thing twice, right? I'll give peace and never, not even a sword will go through your land. It's like uh, emphasizing. But he understood it as, I will bring peace and even a peaceful sword will not go through, go through your land. So therefore you don't have to bother with the, 
headache of having an army going through and, and possible threat of an army going through your land. And so that's why Yoshihau said he thought we're in a time of peace and blessing, and he relied on the blessing of Ayikra. But what she didn't realize is that the generation was not worthy of, of having that level of blessing. And if he asked Yeremiah, I mean, I would have explained it to him better and said, you know, we, we have to tolerate this still. We don't have enough strength to stop an army from going through. As Yoshia was dying, he was bleeding and um, uh, Yirmiya went to, came to see him and he saw that Yoshia's lips were moving, trying to mouth something. So Yirmiya was afraid. Maybe Yoshia, who was saying something inappropriate, maybe saying a words of blasphemy against God because, uh, you know, he tried to be a righteous person and this is what happened to him. So Yirmiyah bent down and listened to his words closely and heard Yoshia saying, God is righteous. I rebelled against his word. This is a pasuk from Echa. And Yirmiyah responded um, by saying, the breath of our nostrils, the anointed one, of Hashem, anointed one, meaning a king, and the breath of his natural nostrils is his last words of whisper were sidukadin um, to say that God is righteous. Uh, both these pesukim make it into lamentations, which, as we know, uh, is attributed to Yirmiyah. So Yirmiyah's words and lamentations actually are a quote. The first one is a quote from what what Yoshia said in this story. Okay, and next thing in the Mishnah, <clears throat> one time the elders went from Jerusalem to their cities and they made a fast because there was a small amount of blight in the city of Ashkelon and they were afraid that it would, would spread. So in that story, they saw a small amount, enough to fill an oven, that's all that was that got this disease of blight, enough crop to fill an oven. So now question is, when you say fill an oven, what do you mean by that? Do you mean that you take raw grain and enough to fill up a, uh, an oven? Uh, or do you mean that you would make bread out of it and enough to fill an oven when, if, by baking bread in it? So the second one would be much less because when they baked bread, they would make a, a, a flat pita and stick it on the wall of the oven. So cover the, the lining of the oven. That would require much less grain than filling up the uh, whole contents of, of it. And so that's the question. We know it's a little, but is it even smaller than that? And the answer is yes. Tashema kimlo pi tanur. There's a braita that the Mishnah just says kimlo tanur. Braita says kimlo pi tanur, filling the mouth of an oven. And there are different interpretations here. Some say that means, well, I have to fill it, fill it all the way up, the whole contents uh, to the, the mouth of the oven. But others say it means talking about bread, right? Enough bread that you could, um, with that dough, cover the mouth of the oven. And so you see, it's uh, it's the talking about bread. And even according to that, we still have another question. Do you mean to cover the whole, enough bread to cover the whole mouth of the oven? Or maybe just to put bread around the edge of it, which would be even less than that. And we don't know. The main point is that 
<clears throat> even a small amount of disease um, for, for grain uh, will spread and the whole, therefore the whole country has to be uh, in alarm. There was a story that they made a fast because wolves ate two children. Okay, this is just a related story, nothing to do with fasting, but another story where there were these wolves and they swallowed two children, and then uh, they were the wolves excreted them, not fully digested. Uh, okay, a kind of gross story, but um, we have to know the status of Tuman Tahara. Uh, it, really, we should be focused on the fact that these two kids were killed. But even in a time of tragedy, there are sometimes technical questions that we need to uh, solve. And so the, the question is, um, usually a human corpse uh, is tameh. But now, because it, was, it went through the digestive system of this animal, so now is it still called human flesh? Or does it change into something else and therefore is not tameh any longer? And the rabbis decided that the flesh, even if it still looks like it uh, looks like human flesh, is tahor because it went through the digestive system, goes through chemical process, not the same thing as it was before. Bones, however, that these wolves ate of the children, those remain intact. And so the bones are still tameh. Okay, this is an unusual question. And there's other cases where the rabbis talk about an elephant eating a tameh basket, and then it goes comes out the other side. Is it still the same basket or is it something else? All right, so these were interesting questions. Regarding the following, we may, we cry out even on Shabbat. Um, uh, so uh, what, what are these things, right? So Mishnah mentioned if, uh, if an enemy comes or a river uh, or a boat is about to sink, Okay, so that adds to this. If you have a city that enemies came and surrounded it, or the river is flooding. Or there is a boat that's about to sink, or a uh, one person is being pursued by non-Jews or by thieves, or or by an evil spirit which means the person went insane and he's acting very strange and may harm himself or others. All these things are emergency situation and you can cry out even on Shabbat. Not only that, but an individual can make himself suffer through fasting. Uh, and and even, even if it's not the that individual who is the being run after, right? Even if it's uh, someone else who knows that can uh, can fast. Rabbi Yosef Ahmed and Echid Hashad Sagev at Asma B'Ta'anit. The Sagev is uh, uh, um, even more than just regular fasting, but afflicting oneself with a lot of fasting day after day. And so Rabbi Yosef says no. An individual is not allowed to take that that upon himself. Why? Shema Yisterech Labeniot, because he's going to be so weak and sick, he won't be able to work, he won't be able to take care of himself, and then he's going to have to rely on the community to take care of his needs. And people are not going to want to, they're not going to have mercy on him, because they're going to say, he brought this on himself, what kind of crazy person is this, right? I mean, so go and cry and pray, but you don't fast for many days and make yourself, uh, uh, bring yourself to the brink of death, and then rely on everybody else, to go and bring you medical attention and to provide for your family. 
You shouldn't have done that to yourself. That's what Biyose. Amar of Yehuda, Amar of Maita, Amar of Biyose. Dikhtiv, ahi adam lenefesh haya. Neshama shenatati becha hachayeha. And he had a source. He has a source. The Pasuk says that man became a living soul when Hashem created man. A living soul. So Hashem says, I gave you a living soul, so keep it alive, right? I gave you a soul. It's your, 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 your job is to keep it alive and keep healthy and don't make yourself unhealthy, right? So there's a communal fast and everybody's fasting for one day. Okay, that's fine. It's not, it's not dangerous. I mean, if it's, if it's dangerous, then if you're, if, you're, if you're sick and can't handle it, then you don't fast. But you don't take upon yourself um, um, a multiple fasts that are dangerous. Okay, Shimon Timni Omer. Af al David, regarding that also crying out on Shabbat, Shimon said, also, if there's a plague, that's also an emergency, and we fast right away. And the rabbis did not, the, his colleagues did not agree with him. And it's not the same kind of emergency as, um, as a boat sinking. The question is, when it says the rabbis disagreed with him and said, no, we won't cry out on Shabbat for that, well, do they mean that if it was a weekday, then they would agree? Is that is a plague considered the type of emergency that individuals would, would cry out? We already saw before that if there's a plague, then, there, then there'll be communal fasting on Monday, Thursday, or according to that, the, the normal pattern. But the question is, should individuals, if it's a weekday, uh, go ahead and make multiple fasts? Or maybe they disagreed with him totally, that we only make an individual fast for something else, like a boat sinking, but not for a plague. That's the question. We have a Braita says, we do cry out for a plague on Shabbat and all the more so on a weekday. Says, no, not at all. So there you go. The, uh, the opinion in the Mishnah that says, that disagrees with Shimon HaTimni um, must be the same as Rabbi Akiva. And he says, don't fast at all, uh, not, uh, not on Shabbat and not even during the week. And uh, the Mishnah says, um, any, any kinds of trouble that, that come to the community, um, one should fast, except if it's too much rain. We're not going to fast to stop too much rain. Rain is a blessing, and uh, even if it's more than we need, you don't pray to stop it. So Braitha is going to ask, what's the reason for this? says, because we don't pray to stop an excess of good, right? This is good. And even though it's more than you need and it causes some problems, um, it's not appropriate when things are good to cause to, to pray for them to stop. Mm, I mean, the, the, you know, the threat of not having enough rain is much, much greater than whatever could be a problem with having too much rain. What's the source that you don't pray? We know, I know that that's the, that's the reason, but what's the source for that reason? Pasuk in Malachi says, right, bring uh, your ma'asir to the storeroom. So they bring it to the Bet HaMikdash and Hashem says, you can test me with this and I will, if you bring ma'asir, I will give you much blessing, so much blessing that um, it will be ad beli dai, until no end, no, right, uh, 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 infinite amount. 
And we say, what does that mean? Until you're going to say enough, enough, and you're going to say that so much, so many times that your lips will be worn out from saying die. That's a midrash. And the Peshat just means um, without um, more than sufficient, more than enough. Okay, so since the in Malachi, it says that an excess of, of good is a blessing. Therefore, even if it's more than you need, uh, nevertheless, we still call it good. And we don't pray for it to stop. He says, that's only true in Israel. But in Bavel, if it rains too much, we do pray for it to stop. Why? We have a bright that backs up and gives a reason. Okay, the reason is because in Bavel, Bavel is a low-lying area. And uh, therefore, if it has too much rain, it will flood all the cities where people live. And that's a big problem. And so therefore, we pray for it to stop. Whereas Israel, Israel is a mountainous area. And if it rains too much, so the rain goes down into the valleys and it doesn't harm anyone. And so that's the difference. So in Israel, that's why you pray for it to stop. Okay, we have a Braita that backs this up and says that when there is a year that there's too much rain, the Anshem Mishmar, meaning the Kohanim, who are in charge in, and serving in the Beit HaMikdash that week, send a message, they send a message to the Israelites who are praying during that week. Um, they're the representatives of B'nai Israel and uh, to give the, the communal sacrifices. And the Kohanim say, this is when you're making your prayers and you're including prayers for rain, keep in mind your uh, brothers in, uh, in the diaspora, in Bavel, so that their houses should not be their graves uh, because they live in areas where excessive rain will cause flooding and then they will, they, they, they'll get stuck in their houses and, and be buried and the houses will collapse on top of them. So have them in mind when you're praying for rain. So regulate your prayers. So you see that from here that it is appropriate to stop praying for rain or even stop that it, pray for that to stop raining in Bavel. What's the point at which you would say it's too much rain and it's, a, it's okay to pray for, for it to stop? Um, it will be that you go to this cliff called Keden Ofel. This was um, uh, a cliff, another or Ofel, ancient fortress of Jerusalem. And uh, it's very way high above the Kidron Valley, more than 100 meters over it. So this is a very high spot. And he says, if it gets to this spot, um, and uh, you can, uh, the water goes up all the way to that high, 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 uh, high cliff, and you can put your feet in water. The water will get up to your, to, you know, up to your feet, uh, ankles. Then that is too much water. His point is almost never, right? Because it's never going to get all the way that high. So, so you basically never, never pray for rain to stop in Israel. Wait a second, we have another Braita that says, until you can wet your hands in the water. So that would sound like it's even higher that it even reaches your hands. Uh, so, so he meant the same thing, that you could uh, bend down and uh, splash in the water or with your feet. So that's what he meant, or hands and feet. 
Um, so it, since it would basically never get that high in Israel, we don't stop to pray. We don't pray for rain to stop. Says, I once saw, uh, I was there at Keren Ophel, and I was looking, I was all the way up there, and I looked down, and I saw this uh, Arab merchant uh, all the way down below. He was riding a camel, holding a spear, and he looked like a tiny worm. That's how high it is that the distance uh, to all the way down is a person, even a camel will look like a tiny worm. So that shows that it is in fact very high and would uh, basically never come. And that shows that there's no, never, never too much blessing, never, never too much of a good thing, uh, unless you're in Bavel and the good thing is dangerous, then there could be too much of a good thing. Um, but, uh, Baruch Adonai Lolam, Amen Amen.